0: This morning, scripture is from Luke 19, 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. the gospel of the lord. To you,
1: lord you know what maybe i shouldn't have the water bottle up here I'm going to baptize my sermon notes too clumsy this morning it's going down there if i need it i know where it is <sighs> who is jesus That's the question that I asked at the start of last week's sermon. That is really the big question that Luke has been pushing us to ask ourselves from the start of this entire book of Luke. Who is Jesus? And in the story of Zacchaeus, unsurprisingly, the question comes up once again, but here Luke answers it by pushing us toward another question. What did Jesus come to do? Who is Jesus and what did he come to do? Jesus' person and his work. You can't separate those two things. His identity and his mission have been considered side by side in the book of Luke. Uh, Even in church history, if you look at the first few centuries of uh, the church as Christians sought to articulate what it is that we believe and express who Jesus is by doctrines like the Trinity and the Incarnation, two natures of Christ... This idea of who Jesus is and and what he accomplished are tied together. They built on that foundation of what Jesus did. He was sent from God the Father, so he must be distinct from the Father. And yet, to accomplish the redemption of sinners, he couldn't be just a mere man. He had to be both God and man. So even theologically, uh, the identity and the mission of Jesus go hand in hand. But as important as those doctrines are, and as relevant to us as they are, the story of Zacchaeus asks the question in a very practical, I think, and personal sense. There's a lot to say about who Jesus is. We won't even really scratch the surface. But today's text tells us something about Jesus' character, about what he is like. So Zacchaeus wants to know who Jesus is. His heart is asking the same question Who is Jesus? And he finds the answer in what Jesus does for him. How Jesus enters and transforms his life. In other words, Jesus shows him who he is. There are vital lessons for us as well here. What does it mean to know Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? To be like Jesus? And of course, who is Jesus? By way of an outline, I'm just going to walk through the, the text and point out some details along the way, and then I'll have two main points of application, which might be obvious what they are by the time we get there. So according to verse 1, which you see on the screen already, Jesus is passing through Jericho. Now, if you were, happened to be here last week, that might stick out in your mind, because last week's story also happened near Jericho. So this story of Zacchaeus explicitly connects to last week's story of this blind beggar. So we're meant to keep those stories together, read them together. There are similarities beyond just the location, and there are differences, and we'll point those out along the way. But let's get to know this Zacchaeus guy who we meet in verse 2. What do we know about him? Well, first, he's Jewish, Zacchaeus, or Zachaios, uh, is a Jewish name, so we know he's Jewish, We know he's a tax collector, it says right there, and remember people didn't like tax collectors back then. Uh, They're not really fond of tax collectors now either. Uh, That's pretty much a universal, but the first century Jews didn't like them even more because men like Zacchaeus collected taxes for Rome, so this foreign government that's ruling over them, and they typically collected more taxes than were actually owed so that they could get rich off the extra. Zacchaeus, though, he's not just any tax collector, though, is he? He's a chief tax collector. So he's really deep into Roman collusion. He probably took a cut from what all the other tax collectors underneath him brought in, so he's kind of high up in the, the pyramid scheme. He's a ringleader, really, in that corrupt tax-collecting culture. Very, very deep part of the problem. And we know he's also rich. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the rich ruler, rich young ruler he's sometimes called and I said that his riches were seen as a mark of righteousness well it's not just me that's how the crowd reacted in that passage when Jesus said it's effectively impossible for the the rich to enter the kingdom they they kind of reacted well well, then no one can I mean who can if they can't so they, they viewed it as a mark of worthiness for the kingdom and when someone's well off and holds a position of respect a position that's respected that's not entirely surprising we might be tempted to to see uh, people the same way today. But it's not that they had no concept of ill-gotten gain. When it comes to a tax collector who's been cheating and stealing, that's not the same as what was probably a well-to-do leader of the synagogue. So Zacchaeus is seen as a wealthy crook, living it up at the expense of his people whom he's cheated, and that view is not entirely wrong. We also know, of course, that Zacchaeus was short Just get it out of our system. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, ask someone who laughed. It was a popular song in Sunday schools across the planet, apparently, uh, years ago. But uh, most importantly, what we know about Zacchaeus, though, is that he is asking himself the same question that we're considering this is one of those situations where the way I remember the story from the flannel graphs is a little different from what the Bible actually says. Does anybody remember flannel graphs? Who remembers flannel flannel graphs? Okay. If you remember flannel graphs, um, it's probably time to invest in a set of nose hair trimmers. <laughs> and there's no shame, and no judgment. I, Father's Day is coming. This is first on my list for that. So, I speak. I, I, we're all in this together. Okay. So, but Zacchaeus. Uh, I always thought he just basically knew who Jesus was. I mean, who doesn't? After all, Jesus is famous. So, and he just wanted to peek at this famous teacher who was passing through. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say he wanted to see Jesus, does it? It says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Not just gawk at the celebrity rabbi or get his autograph. He wants to know who Jesus is. And I think that's a deep desire. I think then as now... You don't wonder who Jesus is out of some idle curiosity. It's not merely academic. To wonder who Jesus is, is to wonder, is he the one? The one we've been waiting for, the one I've been waiting for. Is he the answer? Is he the Christ, the savior of his people? Whether you can put it in those terms or not, I think that's the the wonder of his heart. Can he deliver me from my life of sin and shame and guilt? Unfortunately, we also know from verse 3 there, Zacchaeus can't get to see who Jesus is because there's a crowd and he is short, he's small. He can't, I mean, he's, he's, he's a little guy and there's a crowd there and he can't see over it, he can't push through it, can't go under it, got to climb a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Think about what's happening here. A crowd of people are excited to see Jesus. Just think about that. There's a crowd of people excited to see Jesus, following him, eager to see him, to learn from him, to receive some blessing from him, and they're shutting out someone who desperately is seeking Jesus. Maybe it's intentional. Maybe people are saying, let's keep this traitorous tax collector away from Jesus. More likely, it's unintentional. They're just thinking about What they want from Jesus, they might not even notice this little guy in the back trying to find his way to Christ. It's the little children from Luke 18 all over again, isn't it? Parents bringing their little children to Jesus and disciples rebuking them. Or the blind beggar we met last week in Luke 18, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on me, and they tell him, shut up. People who need Jesus but find other people blocking their way intentionally, unintentionally, people who are on the surface are zealous for Jesus, but standing in the way of someone else who needs Jesus. How miserably tragic and sad. And the good news, though, is that in each of those cases, they failed. They could not keep Jesus away from the loss that he came looking for. So that brings us back into the story. Zacchaeus was too small to see Jesus, and so he was kind of up a tree. And that gave him an idea, I guess. He ran on ahead, uh, climbed up a tree with no other options. You know, he went out on a limb, climbed the sycamore tree. Now, if he had had more friends, he might have climbed a poplar tree. Uh, if it were a cold day, you know, maybe a fir tree would be nice. Or on a warm day, you might go to the beach. Uh, special occasions, you might get spruced up and then... But cedar weren't any of those trees around, so he wasn't maple to climb any of those. And at this point, are you sycamore tree puns? Are you, are you pining for the end of this section? Don't give me any sassafras now. In all seriousness, back to, okay, sorry, I just I can't, I can't help myself. There's not really a special meaning to the sycamore. It's, it's not the same as what we call sycamores around here, these big trees you know, that kind of lose their bark and turn white, really striking. This was uh, probably what's called a fig sycamore. It had a short trunk, lots of branches, good for climbing. It also had leaves covering year-round. Um, a commentator named Howard Marshall says that Zacchaeus would not have expected to be noticed in that tree. Uh, He says it wouldn't be dignified for a man of his stature, um, social stature, I mean, to be caught up a tree. So he wasn't trying to get Jesus' attention. The sycamore was really more of an ideal spot to be able to see what's going on but have everybody leave you alone. Um, They just keep coming, I'm sorry. So Zacchaeus, he's able to discern which way Jesus is going. And since the crowd is probably moving slowly, he runs on ahead climbs up this tree where he knows Jesus will be passing by. And what happens next? Well, if you didn't already know the story, didn't already know what happens next, you'd be wondering how Zacchaeus' plan is going to work out. Is he going to be able to see Jesus? Is he able to see who Jesus is just by spying on him from up a tree? What's he going to see? How is this plan going to work out? And so it's both stunning and beautiful when we read what does happen. Here's Zacchaeus, up in a tree, desperate to know who Jesus is, and Jesus, surrounded by the crowd that had shut this small man out, Jesus stops at the tree, looks up exactly where Zacchaeus is, and says, Zacchaeus. He knows his name. Zacchaeus is seeking to learn who Jesus is, but Jesus already knows who Zacchaeus is. He knows him. He knows where he is. He knows who he is. So Zacchaeus does begin learning who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who knows him by name, who calls him by name. And it gets even more surprising, because what does he say? Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus willingly associates himself with Zacchaeus. He invites himself over to Zacchaeus's house to stay. Of course, as Jesus and his disciples are just traveling around the, the, the region. They would have depended on the kindness of strangers, so to speak, to give them lodging. This is kind of how hospitality worked, was expected. Of course, rich Zacchaeus probably would have had the room and the means to host Jesus and 12 disciples, and any other followers perhaps. But for a respectable rabbi, though, to stay at the home of this wretched little tax collector... That is unheard of. Hospitality in their day was was not just, uh, just random generosity. It's not just sharing a meal, it's sharing social status. That concept isn't entirely foreign to us today. Just think about what it means to share a meal with someone in the context of a middle school cafeteria, right? Uh, you have different tables and who you eat with determines your, your rank there. Or think of certain aspects of cancel, cancel culture, rather. If, if your tribe has canceled someone and you continue to associate with that person, well, you're, you're complicit in whatever offense got them canceled, right? There's a guilt by association. That's the idea here. So Jesus, being hosted by this tax collector, eating food and, and drinking wine and, and staying in this home that were purchased with ill-gotten gain, all that hospitality is paid for with dirty money. As The same commentator put it, to stay in such a person's home was tantamount to sharing in his sin. Certainly the crowds are shocked and scandalized. As we see in verse 7 there, they grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Notice they're not grumbling about Zacchaeus. They're grumbling about Jesus and what Jesus has done. They don't like it. They've gone from enthusiastically following Jesus, crowding around him, to now grumbling about him. Because they don't want a Messiah who associates with that kind of person. They want a Jesus, I want a Jesus, who is like me, not a Jesus for people like that. That shows they don't understand who Jesus is or what he came to do. But they're getting on my nerves and convicting me at the same time, so let's just go back to Zacchaeus here for a moment. Zacchaeus hurried down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus is filled with joy to find that Jesus not only knows him, but Jesus befriends him. Everyone else has rejected him, shut him out, but not Jesus. Having received the undeserved friendship of Jesus, Zacchaeus rejoices, and Zacchaeus's life is transformed Look at what Zacchaeus does. He declares his his intent to give away half of his possessions, half of everything he owns, giving to the poor. And to anyone that he has cheated, whoever he's cheated, he pledges to restore it fourfold. This is not just simple restoration of what was required according to the law. This is generosity and reconciliation that go above and beyond. Nowhere in the law of Moses does it say to give away half of your possessions. And if you stole money, the penalty was to pay it back and add one-fifth to it. Um, There is a passage where sheep thieves had to pay back fourfold and cattle rustlers fivefold, but money was just 20%. So this repentance, this restoration, it, it goes above and beyond. And It's not the reason that salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house, as Jesus says. It's the evidence of that salvation that Christ says has come. This kind of thing is not the work of someone just trying to earn salvation, but the fruit of someone who has received lavish grace from Christ, grace without merit. I think that's why Luke cued us in with the Jericho idea to keep in mind that blind beggar from the previous chapter. We are all beggars before God. We come with empty hands needing simply to receive. But look at what we receive when we receive Christ. Look at the life change that Zacchaeus received. Martin Luther, in his commentary on the book of Romans in the opening, says this about faith. He says, Faith is God's work in us that changes us and gives us new birth from God. It changes our hearts, our spirits, our thoughts, our powers. It brings the Holy Spirit with it. Yes, it is a living, creative, active, and powerful thing, this faith. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done, but before anyone asks, it has already done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Faith is a living bold trust in God's grace, so certain of God's favor that it would risk death, risk death a thousand times trusting it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful and bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. Because of it you freely willingly joyfully do good to everyone, serve everyone, suffer all kinds of things, love and praise the God who has shown you grace. Thus, it is just as impossible to separate faith and works as it is to separate heat and light from fire. And doesn't that sound like what we see in Zacchaeus? This joy-filled faith that produces such extravagant work of generosity and reconciliation, and as surely as fire produces both heat and So between the blind beggar and Zacchaeus, we see those two things held together. That number one, we come, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. That is the ground of my salvation, my justification. It's not about what I've done, it's all what Christ has done. And yet we also see that by receiving Christ, we are transformed. We are not the same as we were before. No one tells Zacchaeus to do this. He simply receives Christ and he knows what he has to do. So the crowds, they are wrong. They weren't wrong. They weren't wrong in condemning Zacchaeus' sin. But they had no idea who Jesus was. They had no idea what Jesus could do. We see in Zacchaeus' life an even greater miracle than just restoring a blind man's sight. We see a sinner restored to life, relationship with God. The crowd looked at Zacchaeus and saw only what he had done. They had no idea what God could do and what God the Son had come precisely to do. In Jesus' own words, again, salvation has come to Zacchaeus' house. because Jesus has come to Zacchaeus' house. Christ is our salvation. Zacchaeus, too, is a son of Abraham, he says. Again, the crowd, they didn't see him as a brother, even a lost one. He was just the enemy. And Jesus says, most of all, this is exactly what he came to do. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The crowd was right. He was lost. Jesus says, my mission is to the lost. It is to people like Zacchaeus or blind Bartimaeus, infants, lepers, drunks, prostitutes, and on and on the list goes of people Jesus ministered to. Not the righteous, not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners, Jesus came to call. So the crowd was right, he was a sinner. Jesus did come to associate with sinners, and they were more right than they knew in thinking this was tantamount to taking on the guilt of sin, because Jesus did come to take the guilt of their sin on himself in a deeper way than they could ever imagine. This is exactly what he came to do, not merely to trumpet his own righteousness and call us to either a higher standard or an easier standard. The gospel is not that Jesus made the standard easier. The gospel is that Jesus came to identify with his people, to be condemned as guilty of the worst of their crimes and bear the shame, the derision, the rejection, the sorrow, the pain, and the death that wretched sinners deserve. He came for the cross. And even as he was on the cross, what did he do? He reached out to the justly condemned guy next to him with comfort and grace. This day you'll be with me in paradise. Yes, there is a place for you in my kingdom. Jesus came for the freaks and the geeks, the outcasts and the losers, the rejects, the vile, the wicked, The traitorous and the treasonous, that's who his mission was for. So application number one, what about you and I? When we think of our mission or church growth strategy or whatever, is that our target demographic? Are we like the crowds or are we like Christ? Are we here to seek and save the lost? And you say, and you're right, that we should share the gospel with everyone because everyone is a sinner. There's no difference. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus himself ate with both vile sinners and respectable tax collectors. And that's true. That is also, by the way, part of the point here, that we are all like the wretched tax collector, even people who don't know it, people the world respects like the Pharisees. If you think you have some righteousness to offer to God that Zacchaeus did not... And you don't know who Jesus is either. Jesus ate with both vile tax collectors and respectable Pharisees. Can you and I say the same? Or do we use that as a, an excuse to focus only on the respectable Pharisees? Or maybe we reverse it. Maybe we're all in for the, the sinners and the rejects, but we despise the respectable. Or maybe we don't focus on the lost at all, respectable or not. But Jesus was a friend of sinners. Is that the Jesus you and I know? Is that the Jesus you and I are following? Is that the Jesus you and I are eager to be like? A friend of sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. That tells us who he was. Who he is. That tells us his heart. That's the information Zacchaeus was looking for. He asked the question, he wanted to see, who is Jesus? And the answer is, Jesus is the one who came to seek and save the lost. When we pray, make me more like Jesus, is that what we're praying for? Are we just praying for personal piety and purity, endurance through trials, victory over sin, help me live a holy life? Those are good things to pray for, things we should pray for. But do we ever think that we can become like Jesus not become like Jesus in his heart for lost, broken, sinful people. You cannot separate Christ-likeness from the Great Commission. When we look at the lost and the lives that they lead, we see not only what Christ has saved us from, but who Christ has saved us for, in a sense. I know we are ultimately saved for God, but we're also saved and given a mission. The reason we're still here is because Christ is still at work to seek and save the lost through us. And I know there are a million questions about strategy and individual gifts and opportunities, and I'm not saying that everyone is cut out to go witnessing at Lefty's Holler or go be a missionary in Iran. I I understand that, but where is our heart when it comes to those people, whoever those people are for you? Are there some kinds of people that we hope never come through the doors of this church, people you wish would stay away or, or maybe go away? those are the people Christ came looking for, just like Christ came looking for you. And that leads to the second point of application, because me just beating up the church uh, is, is not what transforms us. What transforms us is receiving Christ. So do you ever feel like Zacchaeus? I suppose we all have at one time or another, right? Maybe you're feeling like Zacchaeus this morning, wondering who this Jesus really is, unable to get close enough to find out, and there could be any number of reasons. Maybe it seems like the crowd that's following Jesus is somehow pushing you away, whether they even know it or not. Sometimes it's, I don't know, maybe something somebody said to you in a church years ago, or a conflict that you're having right now, or for whatever reason, it just doesn't feel like you fit in with the crowd of people who follow Jesus. Maybe it feels like there's no place for you. Maybe you're aware of your sins, the things that you've done, that you keep doing, the things that you haven't done. Like Zacchaeus, we are sinful people. Maybe it's the shame, the guilt, the regret. If people knew what your life was like, or maybe they do know, how can Jesus have anything to do with someone like you? Or maybe like Zacchaeus, Maybe it feels like your own body somehow is what keeps you away. You know, we live in a culture obsessed by appearance. You could argue that certain definitions of attractiveness are seen as marks of righteousness today, much like the rich ruler's wealth could have been seen as a mark of righteousness. And Christians aren't immune to that same obsession. Maybe you feel like you're too short, too tall, too thin, too wide, too old. No one sees anything worthwhile in you no place for you whatever the reason that you might be wrestling feeling like you can't get to jesus you can't figure out who he really is You're wondering is he the answer you're looking for whatever is in the way you might feel like you're up a tree but i have good news jesus always barks up the right tree And you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus came looking for. Do you feel lost? That's good. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He knows your name. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows what you need. He's come to meet that need by showing you who he is. A friend of sinners. He looks at sinners and sees... Sons and daughters of Abraham, he willingly associates with sinners, befriends sinners. He's not afraid to stick to you even though it means taking on your shame and your guilt because he's already won the victory over those things. He has defeated them by his death. He has risen victorious. None of that matters anymore if you're in Christ. He is the answer that you are looking for, that you've always been looking for. He's a friend of sinners. That's who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent your son to be a friend of sinners. For we are sinners. And we, like Isaiah, think about who you are The more we see you, the more we cry out, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, dwell among a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the most holy God. We are not fit to look upon you. Yet you sent your Son to reveal your glory in such an unexpected way by taking on our sin and our guilt, revealing your glory by pouring out your grace so that we frail and broken and vile sinners who've rebelled against you, we can look to the cross, look to Jesus, look to the friend of sinners, trust in him and find ourselves friends of God loved by God, fully reconciled to you, justified, counted righteous, not because of anything that we have done, but entirely because of what Christ has done for us. Father, help us each day anew to receive this mercy. Remember what we have received, rather. Continue that work in us, Lord God, transforming us, making us more and more like Christ, who is a friend of sinners, filling us more and more with that faith, that faith that so rejoices and so trusts in you that we cannot help but do good to love you and to love all around us. We pray that simply through receiving Christ, Christ himself would be on display in each of our lives. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name.